Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. May God indeed fill our cups till we want no more. So this morning's uh, Bible reading is taken from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, 26 to chapter 4, 7. At the end of the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord and we'll respond, thanks be to God. Galatians 3, 26 to 4, 7. 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and hears according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Good, good, <clears throat> good morning. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning if you are joining us for the first time. Um, good morning, Virginians, for the second time, third time, fourth time. We are glad to have you. Um, fifth time, because you probably, were, you probably have not been part of this series before. So this series that we are doing now, um, we started many weeks ago, and then we took a short break, and we did like a, a four-week series on work. And so we resumed last week. So this series is based on the book of Galatians, and it's called, um, we titled it, No Longer Slaves. No Longer Slaves. And if you followed Taiwo, um, Taiwo as she read, um, you notice that in the last verse of the passage that she read, you have um, that very phrasing, no longer slave. When Paul says, so you're no longer a slave. So the series title was taken from that verse, you know, no longer slaves. 
So I decided to title this one, No Longer Slaves. <laughs> Just like the series, No Longer Slaves. But before we deepen uh, any further, we should even consider what are slaves? What do slaves even mean in this text, in this passage, and even in this context? What do slaves mean? What do slaves mean? So you see, this Galatians, um, this book of Galatians, is a letter. And the letter was written in the Greco-Roman times. It was written you know, during the Roman you know, rule and empire. And see, if, there, if you know anything about the Romans, the Romans were, the Roman times were, the Romans were big timers. Right, they were the guys' first empire that really made, that really made coins, that made like currency. You know, first guys who tried that, and so they moved from like land stuff into currency as a form of financial. So it was like a financial revolution. So they also, um, they were like bad guys in engineering. So sort of a pre-modern industrial revolution, like mighty machines and eng and engines that they tried. But then, thought, but not the final, but just this third thing is that they also subdued many kingdoms. They subdued many peoples, many tribes all across the world. And what they did was, they were like, they did this better than all the empires before them. They assimilated the knowledge from all of these places. So as a result of this, the Romans were very powerful. They were very wealthy. The Roman Empire was you know, had extraordinary abundance, incredible prosperity. Especially for the generals, the philosophers, you know, the ones we remember, you know, Augustus, the Socrates, the Plato, all of them, Cicero, the scholars, the emperors. Only those guys at the top. Because really, the distribution of what the Romans refer to as persona, like, you know, a personhood, for someone to be regarded as a full human being, the distribution of this personhood was profoundly unequal. Very few people were considered to be persons. You see, only, most times, only the head of a house, the head of a family, which Romans refer to as paterfamilias, was really a person. You know, the father was the one who counted as a person, who had the status. You see, but people lived, everyone lived in various degrees of personhood, you know, from children, who inherit, who could inherit their father's status to women who were always treated as property of the father, of this father of the house. And then, of course, the 20 to 25% of the empire who were slaves. And this is different from modern-day slavery. You see, they were slaves not so much by virtue of race, virtue of race, no, but they were slaves by virtue of commercial and military misfortune. And they were stripped of family, stripped of community. They were treated as property. You see, and as Andy Crouch, a writer and thinker, noted in his talk, overcoming our greatest affliction, one of the most interesting things was what happened to the names of these slaves. You see, the Romans were very practical people, he said. If there was no prospect of becoming a person, they didn't bother with a name. And so, when you hear names like this in scripture, or you hear names like this in the series Rome, or in Spartacus, you know, if you hear names like Tertius, Quintus, Quintus, that's not, it's not really a special name. Those people were named after the order of their birth. So that slave was like the third guy born in his family. So he was named Tertius, three. That guy was the fourth guy, was named Quintus. That guy was the fifth guy, was named Quintus. 
And then in scripture, when you see that name, like Onesimus, it's not a dope name. Oh. <laughs> Onesimus is probably, was probably born to a woman that was a slave. And then, for some reason, maybe the masters looked at the guy and said, Ah, this guy has features. This guy, this guy, look at his, he probably will grow to be a very, you know, beast on the farm, on the, on the field, or to work for us. And so he said, let's let me useful. Onesimus. You see, so when Paul mentioned the word slave in verse 7, Galatians 4, 7, you see, this is the idea that he had in mind. He's saying something very radical. You see, because the word slave in that verse is tied to everything else in that text and in that passage. You see what Paul says in 4, verse 7? He says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are a child of God, God has made you also an heir. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Paul is saying, slaves, they were nobodies. He's saying, he's, he's picturing that in his head and he's saying, see, you are no longer a nobody. You have become something. You see, these are not mere words. These 23 words in the NIV version are not mere words. So like I prayed in the first service, I pray that these words, though they be like mere lyrics on paper, that it will resound like music, like Bedu, busting our hearts and minds this morning. Amen. Father, how about Father? I pray that you will speak. I pray that you will speak. I pray that you will sing over us. Lord Jesus, may our hearts burn within us. May our hearts burn within us like the guys on the road to Emmaus. Holy Spirit, convict us. Witness to our spirits. Witness to our spirits. Witness to our spirits. You see, we should not get ahead of ourselves. There are two things to talk about today. And the first is, everybody is a slave and no one can free themselves. First thing, everybody is a slave and no one can free themselves. Second thing, but God makes us his sons it makes us heirs. Everybody's a slave and no one can free themselves. You see, verse 1 of chapter 4, what does it say? It says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. You see, there are many things to take from this verse, but one direct import of this text is that, oh, oh, so, heirs normally, they are heirs because they own stuff. Slaves are primarily slaves because they own nothing. Heirs own, but this heir here, this heir here is strange. How come he's an heir, but it's not different from a slave? But the primary thing is that heirs own stuff and slaves don't. You see, what this means, this text here, and for us today, as we begin to think and imagine and meditate on this is, you see, there are primarily two sets of people here in our world today. There are primarily two sets of people here and in our world today. Those 
who own little or nothing, or is it who own little or nothing of what the world values and considers important? That is the first set of people. The second set of people are those who own a lot or everything that the world values and considers important. Nobody's and somebody's. You see, there are degrees in between, but generally, you are either this or you are either that. You see, we are talking about the value and importance in the eyes of the world. Our value and importance in the eyes of the world. You see, the world accords you low status if you have little or nothing. And the world accords you high status if you have a lot or everything. And we should not lie to ourselves. The consequences of a high status are sweet. They are pleasant. You have security. You have security. You know that nothing can happen that will shake you. Let anything happen. You can take care of it. You have people that would be like, you have people that you can call down your speed dial, that can answer. IGPs, commissioners. You have access. You have access to places that, people can, that most people can only dream about. You have freedom. People pay your attention. People consider it important. You get invitations to cream de la creme, strictly by invitations. You're a boss, the manager, or the, this founder of your fintech. You know, you've started this as a young guy. People laugh at your jokes even when they are not funny. Your employees will laugh. <laughs> you are too funny, your guy. Two thousand birthday messages, people calling you before you wake up, before it's your birthday. They're calling you. You get ampers. They flatter you. You're driving out of a hotel, wearing shorts, and just just consuming from the beach. And then the security guy. You are wearing normal t-shirt and shorts oh, inside your car, Camry, Uber, <laughs> inside my Uber car. They say, Ah, you are looking so beautiful today. Ah, you are awesome. You are great. Today is a beautiful Sunday. Ah, well done, man. God bless you, man. Flatter you. High status. But that's not all. Look at verse 3. What does Paul say in verse 3? Paul says, So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. In slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Oh, you see, Colossians 2 makes this very, very clear. Colossians 2. You see, when you go to Colossians 2, verse 8, look what it first says. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world, rather than on Christ. He goes further. 2023, look what Colossians says. Paul is saying in Colossians, he says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why? As though you still belong to the world, do you subject, submit to his rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings, human standards. In verse 16, look what Paul says. Paul says, don't let anyone judge you. Verse 18, what does Paul say? He said, don't let anyone disqualify you. Verse 8, what does Paul say? Don't let anyone hold you captive. 
See to it that no one takes you captive. You see, slaves today, in today's age, in our city, in our space, are people who are judged, disqualified, held captive by the world and by what the world deems valuable and important. First, two, look at what is used in verse, verse 2 of chapter 4. It says, subject to guardians. And just subject, subject. You see, in essence, slaves are people ah, who are owned by the world. Owned by the world. By the world that does not value them. By the world that does not really love them. So to be a slave today is not just to have a low status or a high status in the eyes of the world. To be a slave is to let the world judge you or disqualify you or qualify you by virtue of what the world values. Ah, to be held captive by the world, whether you are of low status or of high status. And please, I am not saying that there is no good to pursuing status. There is a hunger for a status as it uses. Oh, yeah, it can spur you to use your talents, like develop it, deploy it. Talents that God has given you, talents that God has blessed you with. You see, hunger for status can encourage you to be excellent. You work toward excellence, building an excellent company. But like all appetites, if you eat too much, it can kill you. But that's not it. You see, I status, as we all know, as most of us know, I status, pursuing status, achieving the status is very, very hard. And even when we do achieve a high status, it's not those have achieved the high status in life. We know what we have put into it, most people. Oh, for both, but for most of us, we didn't even have to work for it. We were born into it. So to achieve a high status is so very hard. But even when you do achieve it, to maintain it is so difficult. You see, the truth is, as much as we try, some of us might never achieve a high status in this life. Some of us may never have what the world considers to be important, to be valuable. Some of us never will. Never. So how do our lives ensue? How do our lives ensue? Two, two, two ways. You see, one is we live with what Alain de Botin, a Swiss-British philosopher, as, and writer has called status anxiety. Status anxiety. How does he define it? Look at what he says. Status anxiety is. Alain de Botin. He says, a worry so pernicious. We live with a worry so pernicious as to be capable of ruining extended stretches of our lives. That we are in danger of failing to conform to the ideals of success laid down by our society. And that we may, as a result, be stripped of dignity and respect. A worry that we, that we are occupying too modest a wrong or are about to fall to a lower one. You see, this is why some of you left your old student association WhatsApp group. 
you're pressured too much. This is why you've never gone. Not because you are so busy on those Saturdays or just once in a year or once in two years. No, you are not busy. It is status anxiety. Oh, your secondary school friend. What did he even know? Someone that barely managed to make his five credits. You are the offline student. Where are you? Look at where he is. So I, manager, general manager of his company, look at you still trying to find your way, find your path in life. Your sister, twin sister, is married. And you keep, you, you're, you're still attending singles events. Or those whom you got married with together already have kids after many years. You see, you notice this in the extended pause or the fake smile that you give off when you hear, when you hear the good news of those close to you, of those that are friends with you. The, the fake smile that you give, the, just pause. You see, this is displayed, this serious anxiety is displayed, you know, when a colleague greets you distractedly, just passes, not even looking at you, just greeting you and passing, ah. It's because, it's because she thinks that I want to ride home in our Benz with her. It's, it's, God will provide car for us too now. And it's because we don't have car. She, I'm not even going with her. I don't, but God will provide car for us. But when your phone calls go unanswered, you call over and over. You call me over and over again. And I say, ah, I call you. Not, I know you are busy. I know you are. God will make us busy too. God will provide I want to be busy in this way. It took me out of I want to be busy. Means I want to be busy. God will provide a job that will, that will kill me with busyness. <laughs> you are busy. I oh, we know you are busy. Busy. You see, and I'm not even saying that we are assuming all these things wrongly. I'm saying perhaps you are even right in all of your assumptions. I know how this feels. I worked with City Church for four years, <laughs> from the beginning. You know, yes. <laughs> and then people will meet me and ask me, Dami, what do you do? <laughs> and I'll say, uh, you know, you know, um, I'm a creative, I'm doing a creative, I'm a creative space. It's a creative space. Wow. Wow, nice, nice. You already know, always know you had this, you know. So you must be one of those, ah, uh, I trust you. I say, yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, so where, 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 where is Lego? Lego, oh no. Come on. You're on the island, Abby. I say, ah, yes, yes. See, ah, uh, which side in the island? Ah, ah. I say, Lekki. Ah, ah, I just moved to Lekki. Which side? Around what I say, ah. <laughs> Around the Legoshi. Say, hey, ah, which like is it like a startup or a like advertising or this kind of this thing? I say, hey, you know, it's it's in a yeah, like what? And I say, ah, yeah, it's like it's a, it's a startup. The church just started. <laughs> it's a startup, you know, just all kind of startup. Church. I say, ah, is that why you are? Ah, you now said it now. Don't worry, that's what we are going to be now. It's a stepping stone. Is that no? Don't worry about this. You are going to go. I know you are going to go far. Go with it. You know, I speak to parents, people from my parents' church. No, uh-uh. You, I, you are you are laboring for God. You, know, you are slaving. You are suffering for God. And God is going to. There's nobody that I know that God has not rewarded. 
and when I have stopped working for City Church and I've now become a comedian, MC, like a filmmaking student, and then people ask me, Dami, what do you do now? I say, I'm still in the creative. I'm still in the creative space. You know, creative, okay. So we're like, which, which side now? Is this still with church? No, no, I'm in church. So what is, you know, they want to say, okay, 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 comedian. Yeah, I don't check my this thing. I have 256 followers or what, something. They want to check out. You see, what they want to do most times is they want to say, oh, damn it, let's know where damn is. Let's stamp him. Okay, this is his own status. Bam. Unconsciously, subconsciously, whether you are doing purposefully or not, we all stamp, low status, high status, this way, blah, blah, blah. So is it not then true what Alain de Botton says? Look what he says. He says, is it not true? He says, we are anxious about the place we occupy in the world because the place we occupy will determine how much love we are offered. We are slave in a way. We are owned by the world. You see, but look at the second thing of kind of life that ensues. <clears throat> the second thing is that we become obsessed with things that don't matter. Or we become obsessed with things that matter less. Do you remember the story of the guy, the parable Jesus told in Luke 18, 9 to 14? The Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee is this high status guy. The tax collector is this low status guy. And then Pharisee came and said, ooh. You see, Amplified Version shows it correctly. He says, you see, and the man said to himself, he said, thank God, I am not like robbers, all these low status, good for nothings, nobody's tax collector people. No, no, I'm not like, I fast twice a week. I pay my tithe. I'm not, no, no, I'm not one of those. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, he said, that guy, he says that when Jesus gave his recommendation, he said, that guy is zero. He said, that guy, all the things that he said is, but they're all filthy rags. He has focused on what does not matter. He has focused on what matters less. <laughs> He's actually, rabbis in early Jewish custom used to teach a kind of prayer. He said, they'll teach this kind of prayer. I don't know if they still do now. He said, they'll teach this kind of prayer where people come to say, thank God. Emma will come to pray and say, thank God. I was born a Jew and not a Gentile. Thank God. I was born free and not a slave. Thank God, I was born a man and not a woman. I was born a high status person. You see, the Greeks used to pray to Socrates and Kobe. They would say, thank God, I was born a Greek and not a barbarian. Thank God, I was born a free man and not a slave. Thank God, I was born a man and not a woman. High status, low status. You see, but what does Paul say? Paul says, you are focusing on what matters least. This is how the slaves live. Paul says in 3, verse 28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Paul is not saying that these things don't exist. But he's saying, those are not the things that matter most. You are focusing on what matters less. You see, we know how to do this very well. You hear good news. Of somebody, you will say, thank God, in your heart. You will not say that, thank God, you hear that the person has got promotion. 
person is climbing high in a career. You see how they say, thank God, at least me, I have what I have husband. I have husband. In your mind. Ah, thank God. Thank God. People, everybody will be going, people will be going to Samo. They will be going to Uncle Wai for advice, for counsel. But thank God, me, I preach. I preach. Don't. I am not like. You see, what fascinates me the most <laughs> recently, Mama, from the parable of the prodigal son, is that the prodigal son, the elder one, the one that remained in the house. You see, the younger brother had gone out. You remember the story very The younger brother had gone out. He squandered. He said, the man, he said, the father has all estates. Just like we saw in Galatians, all estates. They should give the guy. The guy went, squandered all the money, finished everything, came back. And then the, the older brother had found out that the man was treating him as if nothing happened. The guy would say, hey, my status is threatened. Ah, am I, what this man is doing, am I about to move to a lower rung? Just like Alain the Botin says. And then when he found the man, look what he said to his man. He didn't even say, Father, he didn't say anything. He didn't say, Look here! Look! That's what he said. That's the first word he said. Look! That's not even astonishing. He says, I have been slaving. I have been slaving all my life. I've been trying to work at rich, I maintain his high status, achieve his high status. I've been slaving. That's not even what he says. That was not the most important. Look what he says next. He says, he says, of all the things, this man, he says, his father has plenty of things. Look of all the things. He says, focus on so little, so small. Of all the things the guy could say, you know what the guy said? The guy said, and all this way I've been slaving for you, and you couldn't even give me a young goat. <laughs> of everything, young goat. It's goat that is. Numbers 11.5. What is the The Israelites. God is trying to move them from slavery, taking them to promised land, milk and honey. They will own it. They will have it. What do they want? They say, hey, rubbish. Rubbish. We rem Moses, rubbish. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Fish. Look at the memory. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, garlic. See, this is this is this is the this is the life that ensues in a in a, in, a, in the arts and the minds of slaves, focusing on what matters less and matters less. You see, before you continue to love, look at what it says. Look at what it means for us. It says, you work very hard to accumulate so much of high status, money, wealth, fame, influence, until one sickness sets in, until the you are almost dying, until a recession. Until COVID. And then, wow, you realized, I don't really have anything that matters. I don't have friends. Oh, people respect me. Oh, people are ah, dignity. Anytime I enter the room, that is everybody's position about me. But who called me? Who visited me? Who, who cherished me? Who, who kind of like just spent time with me, loved me? When I was down, you don't have friends. You realize that you have wealth, but you have no health, no fitness. You've pursued this high status. You have 7 million followers on Instagram, but you and God are not on the same page. You see, what you realize is that it is your status that they love. It is your status that the world has loved. It is not your true venerable self. No. 
is your status. Look at what Clemens said to Solomon Northup in the movie 12 Years a Slave. Clemens, experienced slave. I'm a slave for, for days, for years. Solomon Northup has never started his 12 years. He's just beginning. He's just, you know, bring on slave. So, <clears throat> they were in the ship that was carrying them to the place where they would really start this slave journey. And then, Solomon Northup was just, man, what's happening to me? I'm not supposed to be here. And Clemens just, hey, guys, chillax. See, see, see. You see? You should not say who you are. You should not. You should not say who you are. You should do as, as they ask you to do if you want to survive in this place. And some people say, no, I want to leave. I don't want to survive. Hey, the man say, hey, hey, hey. You see, and that is how we live our days. We look wealthy. Famous, dignity, fresh, cool on the outside. But Paul is saying that we are slave in a way. We are owned by the world because we just want to survive. But Paul says, but we're no longer slaves. How so? How so? If everyone is a slave and no one can free themselves, how can Paul say that we are no longer a slave? How can he say? Second point. But God makes us his sons. He makes us heirs. But God makes us his sons. He makes us heirs. We see, we sing that in slavery, we are taken captive. We are owned by the world. We live as though we are owned by the world when we subject ourselves to what the world values, considers important, when we qualify or judge ourselves by whether we have a high or low status. But look at verse 5 of chapter 4. Look what it says. It says, but when the time had fully come, but when the time had fully come, but when the time had fully come, what happened? He said, God did what? Sent his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To do what? To redeem those under the law that we might receive what? Adoption to sonship. God in what? Sent his son. That we might receive what? Adoption to sonship. You see, there are two. Someone said, there's the son that God sent. You see, and are those who are receiving adoption to, son, adoption to sonship. And I want to clarify this. I want us to understand what this really means. You see, in those times that Paul wrote, you see, sonship, sonship, Ah, it's, not a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a very privileged thing. Is it because sons were meant to carry on the family name? You see, the family was everything. The family was everything. You believe everything, your future, everything. everything was family. And who would perpetrate this family? Sons. And not just sons, the eldest son. You see, the eldest son was meant to carry on the family business. Ah, the eldest son was meant to ensure that wealth was not only created, but sustained and maintained. The high status is maintained in the family. This is what the son, the elder son, the first son was meant to do. And so when Paul is saying, God sent his son, ah, those guys understand. Because this is God's only begotten son. This is God's firstborn son. Only son, first son. And God is saying, I sent him. 
I'm sending him to come and do what? To come and die. Oh, he's saying, I don't care about the son. I don't care about my eye status. I don't care about 1 Corinthians 1 24 says that Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God. He said, Christ, I don't care about my eye status. Oh, about the wisdom and power, about this eye status that I have. He said, Christ sacrificed that. He came, born of a woman, born under the law, to die. See, for what? He said that we might receive adoption to sonship. Hey, this is another concept you must understand. Adoption to sonship. Oh, see, in the Roman times, ah, adoption is a different thing. It's not like the adoption we do today. This adoption that we do today is more like a charitable idea. You know, wanting people do it to help the poor, help the privileged, unprivileged, the less privileged child. You see, the adoption was not so. You see, for the Romans, people did not adopt children. They adopted adults. And they adopted male adults. Very rarely was a female adopted. You see, you see, today people don't adopt. You see, you see, if the Roman citizen has no male children, he can adopt an, ad- an adult male to inherit his possessions. Or if a Roman citizen feels that his sons are not capable of taking care of the family heritage or perpetuating the high status of the family, he too then adopts a male. And then you know what happens? You see, this adopted person, he can even be a slave. Do you know that? Like many, about nine of Roman emperors, about nine of them were actually adopted males. That now became king of the, of the empire. You see, when this person is adopted, he now begins to live in his adopted father's house. Oh, when this person is adopted, he now begins to bear the name of the adopted father. Oh, when this person is adopted, this person inherits all the possessions of the adopted father. <laughs> oh, my brothers and sisters, friends, God sent his son that we might receive adoption to sonship. Hey, to redeem us from under the law, from under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Ah, you see what God is saying? God is saying, see, I have paid, because this adoption, he said, you would have to be paid, you have paid with a high price. All your previous debt and responsibility and struggling to maintain high status, struggling with low status, are wiped out. And God is saying, you have a new father. God is saying, you are not just God's child. I don't just own you now. Say, you are God's child. The world does not own you anymore. He said, I own you. God's child. God owns you. He said, but that's not just it. He said, you have now inherited all of my estates. Brothers, do you see how marvelous this is? Do you see how great this is? Oh, this is why. Is it because we don't see how great this is? This is why we keep scrambling for what the world values. This is why, because we forget this, this is why we keep, keep rushing for what the world considers important. Hey, but John saw this. First John 3 verse 1, John saw this. John said, see what manner of love hey see what manner of love ah you you are struggling for the world's high status the one that does not love you the one that loves your status he said no no but see what manner of love that the father 
that the Father has lavished on us. I love the KJV. He said, but that the Father has bestowed. It's a status. You didn't work for it. He bestows it for you, on you. You are not, you don't have to be born into a Christian family. You don't have to have a father, a pastor as a father. Oh, you don't have to be, you can be a house help. Oh, today in this auditorium. You can be a driver. You are watching from your car because they will not allow you to join in service. God says that, hey, 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 hey. You can be a child of God. He said, because I bestow this. What manner of love? John says, behold, in KJV, that we should be called, called the children of God. This is radical. See, John repeats, he said, he said, you say, no, no, ah, that's too much. I was saying this to myself all through the weeks as I was looking at the text. I ah, know, ah, this is too much. John said, no. John says, and that is what we are. And that is what we are. I said, but the world does not know. People don't know. People don't know. People don't know. People don't know. He says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Hey, they are missing. They are the ones. They are the ones who do not know. What manner of love is this? Oh, what miraculous kind of love is this? Our brothers and sisters, friends, this is radical because it begins to make sense when he says there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There's never male or female. You see, you can't be hearing sons and sons and sons and sons. But this is radical. It seems as though it's patriarchal. Yes, it's patriarchal. That culture was patriarchal. But Paul is saying there is neither male nor female now. He's saying, he say, even females, even women can have what was only what only belonged to sons. Hey, not just what belonged to sons, what belonged to firstborn sons. That everybody can have it now. He, he turns it upside down. Oh my goodness. God has made you also an heir. 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 I don't have a great job. Oh, I don't have investments. Ah, I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife. I don't have a child. Ah, but I am a child of God. Ah, God has made me an heir. I have everything that Christ has. See what he says. Is it from 26, 28, 29? Look what Paul keeps saying. Paul says, so in Christ Jesus, you are what? All children of God. All. All of you. He says again. He says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, all of you are clothed with Christ. All. All. It's not done. It's not done. What does Paul say? He says, ah, oh goodness. He says, for we are all one. All. In Christ Jesus. All. Oh, we are clothed. Ah, you see, whatever category that is that is shaking you, that makes you feel oppressed, that makes you feel like you're a nobody. God is saying, that is an underwear. You see, your real clothes is an underwear. The word of He said, what your real clothes is, is Christ. You are clothed with Christ. Every other thing is an underwear. You are all one in Christ. I don't have people, I don't have friends, I don't have people that love me, I don't have everybody who judge me, everybody's open. He's saying, he said, because when you come to church in community, though the church is not, the church is not perfect, we're all trying to learn this thing. We're all trying to be one in Christ. We're all trying to be clothed. He said, but the church is where there's hope. If there's any hope at all, it's in the church. Because everybody defines themselves by who God calls them. 
what manner of love that I've been called. Every other place, they are called by what club they belong to. They are called by what cars they drive. They are called by what kind of schools their kids go. But only in church are we called by someone who is higher than anybody in this world. Children! may never achieve a high status in this world. Some of us may, know, may never become somebody by the world's standards. Ah, but see, 1 John 3, 2, it says, it says, don't worry, keep walking, pursue a high status, know that, but that's the wrong that way, you can keep pursuing. But even though you don't achieve it, even though you don't get there, it says, we know what we shall become. It says, when we, when it comes, we will be like him. Ah, Revelation 21, 7. Hey! Revelation 21, 7. He says, he said, for those that will wait to the end, he said they shall inherit. Those that will overcome are called the sons of God. There is a time coming. Romans 8, he says, he says that the whole world, the whole world, this world that you think, they think they know what high status is. The world is deceived. You know, you think he knows what low status is. He said the whole world is anticipating. He's groaning. They don't know, but they are groaning. They are groaning. This is their struggle. This captivity they are under. They are groaning. They are desiring. Ah, the revelation of the sons of God. Abba Father, Abba Father, see through faith, your all children of God, 26, your all children of God through faith, through faith, through faith, through faith, just faith. You put your faith in, in what Christ has done through faith. Through faith, you are a son of God. Through faith, just faith, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be born anyhow. Yo, no, 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 you don't have to come to church for a long time. Through faith, through faith today, right now, right now, right now, your status can change. Right now, it can bestow it on you. Just right now, as I am speaking, as I am speaking, God can bestow this status on you. Through faith, right now. I know that I'm a son of God, but why do I keep going back to my vomit? Why do I keep going back to my vomit? Why do I keep going living as a slave? He said, but an heir, as long as he's underage, is no different from a slave. It's no different from a slave. An heir, as long as he's underage, is no different from a slave. But why do I know I have all these things? I own a whole estate. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. Why do I keep living? like a pauper. Why do I keep living like a church rat? Why? Why? I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. Oh, in chapter 4, verse 6, God says, hey. He said, I understand this. I was watching This Is Us, the series. In season 4 or 5, I guess. Randall, the character there, played by Sterling K. Brown, is an adopted child, black. Adopted child, black guy. You know, low status kind of child, adopted into this white family. And then he was having a conversation with his white biological brother. And he was telling me, hey, you don't understand. I, I didn't really, when we were younger, have you heard of this thing called ghost kingdoms? Have you heard of this thing called ghost kingdoms? You see, adopted children experience this. Psychologists have shown that adopted children, many adopted kids experience this. They build imagination of what their real family, their birth family could be. Ah, is my father a famous man? Oh, is my wife, is my mother still alive? 
What about my brothers for my will? What would they be? Ah, where are they? They don't really fully settle in this new community. They are in this new form. They are thinking. They are struggling with this. They are struggling with this. It can create sometimes pain for them. Sometimes it can create them some kind of momentary joy. God's kingdom. They are going back to the family. They are going back to the family. But God says, I will allow you to wrestle with God's kingdom as a child. What will I do? Verse 4, verse 6. He says, But I will send you on the Holy Ghost. Hey, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Ah, I will leave. It's not just by brain work. It's not just by coming to church and, and learning. And he said, I will send the spirit into your heart. The spirit of his son will be your heart. So that you will know that you are really a son like Jesus. You are my son. I love you. You are adopted. But I'm treating you the way I treat my firstborn. I send his own spirit into your heart. And what does the spirit do? The spirit prays like Jesus. The spirit says, Have a father. Jesus, every time he prayed, except when he wanted to trust, give us his sonship on the cross, except then, every time Jesus prayed, Jesus called, Abba, Father. It's an enduring cry. It's a cry of closeness. It's a cry of nearness. It's a cry of, oh, access to God. It's a cry that God is near you. God is close to you. Oh, it's a cry unlike the, the Jew that said, the Jews say he spoke to himself, he distanced himself from God. You know, this cry is a cry of nearness to God. God is so close, so near to you. It is not like the cry that says, Ah, thank God I'm not like, no. It's not Luke. It's not a Luke cry. It's Abba. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You love me so. Uh, it's a feeling, it's a passion that is sustained, even when mentally everything looks like you have. You, the words, the words stand out, so, so really. You're like, What's it? No, there's something real. I, was, I send it into your heart. See guys, you see, what does this spirit do? I want to give us, I want to give us some things that we, I want to give us some practices that the scripture, that scriptures, the scripture shows us, so that we don't forget, so that we don't, we you know, you know, we, we don't express this enough because we forget, because we, the scripture says we grieve the spirit, we quench the spirit. That is why the word means much to you. That what the spirit, what the Father says about you, is that you quench the spirit, you grieve the spirit. He said, I'm going to give three things, three practices. He said, one helps to deal directly with this quenching and grieving of the spirit. You see, and these are questions from J.I. Parker's book, Knowing God, in the chapter of Adoption of Sons. The chapter on Adoption of Sons. See what it says? It says you should ask yourself constantly, continuously, regularly, ask yourself, have I learned to eat things that displease the Father? Have I? Have I? Have I? Am I grieving or quenching the spirit of the Son? Have I learned to hate the things that displease the father? Second, he says, you ask yourself, are you, ask yourself, am I proud of my father? Are you proud of him? Am I proud of my father? Am I proud of my family? These Christians. Oh, is church just a place where, uh, church, my cathedral church is that somewhere my friends can come and they will not be embarrassed. Say, hey, no. He says, ah, am I proud of my father? I'm proud of my family. Look at this one. He says, ask yourself, do I love my Christian brothers and sisters in a way that I will not be ashamed in heaven when I look back. Second thing. Second thing. You see, Psalm 62 verse 9. I found this very helpful. You know, I told you about my struggles, thinking about my career and my place in the world and how the world sees me. It's Psalm 62 verse 9 as mean of help. 
in a man, Bob Sword, kind of recommended this in his book, Rejection and Praise. He says, Psalm 2 verse 9, look what Psalm 2 verse 9 says. He says, Surely the low born are but a breath, the high born a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. KJV says, Together, all the high men, all the low people, all the managers in your office, all the, all the women, all the fathers and uncles in your family, all those people in your streets, all those people from your secondary school, your old student association, how they think of you, how they see you. He said, when you combine all of them together, he said, what they think of you is vapor. Vapor. Oh, so he says, tell yourself. Oh, when those thoughts come to constrain you, to, to, to take you captive, he said, no, vapor. That is, a, that is vaporous. That is such a vaporous con. Co- co- commendation, praise, or, or remark is vapor. All is all a lie. It's but a breath. It's a lie. I find myself saying this over and over again when I'm tempted to be subject. Oh no, it's but a vapor. That is vapor. It is breath. This is what the word of God says. You see, the other thing we say is this verse 7. He says, You, you see, what I, what I encourage us to be to say to yourself. Say to yourself, So I am no longer a slave. Oh, can we even say it together? So, I am no longer a slave, but I am God's child. But I am God's child. And since I am God's child, God has also made me an heir. So, I am no longer a slave, but God's child. And since I am God's child, God has made me also an heir. Do one thing for me, friends and brothers and sisters. Remind yourself of this. Thirdly, is what we see obviously in the text. Pray. There is no greater way to, to measure your Christianity. J.I. Parker says, is it down to, down to ask yourself what you think of this sonship? He said, why are you? Is it this matters? How do you pray to God? Is your pray, are your prayers full of grumblings? Are your prayers full of complainings? Are your prayers all about, look, God, look. I've done this all my life. What have you given me? Ah, God, you need to do this for me. God, you need to say, oh, you will not. You will always be subject to what the world thinks. Your prayer should be more of Abba, Father. Your prayer should, should, should be aware that God is close, praying through the day. Should be more of thanks. Your prayer should, you see, you should increase the weight of thanksgiving, the weight of appreciating what God has given you and done for you in Christ more and more. Brethren, this is how, this is a, these are some of the ways we can begin to 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 have this reality more than what the word says. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.